Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Podcast, episode number 28. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hello, fellow hunters. This is Carrie Zulka from the Wild World of Carrie Z podcast. You know, I don't always listen to other hunting podcasts, but when I do, I listen to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Jay Scott, your host of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, and I'm here with my field correspondent from Ohio, Dusty Phillips. Dusty, what's happening? Uh, Not a whole lot, Jay. The weather is warmed up. It's uh, thawing out. Got a muddy mess here in Ohio. What's going on in New Hampshire? warmed up here too it's uh the snow's melted a little bit got some rain ice stuff that's been hanging around ice fog that's what it is ice fog you get that's that? where yeah that that's where the uh where the weather is is, is warmer than the ground yes and the fog presents uh, you know i actually was uh driving this afternoon and i seen a big heavy buck and and he had a pair of uh yellow rubber boots on and walking through the mud you know they ain't no dummies they put their boots on when it gets muddy like this yeah i don't blame them yep they look good in them too um I, what's interesting is that we do have a decent amount of snow cover here in new hampshire it's, it's gone here it's starting to whittle down i mean we started out with a good probably mm, i don't know 14 15 inches over the last several weeks and now it's probably down to about seven inches or so um but i have noticed i was sitting in the studio and I, my studio overlooks the driveway. And I was looking out, and all of a sudden, here come two small doe walking down my driveway. And my driveway is not very long. Here comes two doe, walked right along the side of my driveway, went directly across the neighbor's yard, and started eating on their um, decorative shrubbery in the front of their house. So, you know, go figure season's out, and you're seeing deer. <laughs> yeah, well, I've seen a lot of deer, a lot of deer on my camera. Uh, but I just think it's, it's, fun, uh, it's humorous that, that the deer – come and they start nibbling on your shrubs next to your house your neighbor's house uh nice shrubs too i mean decorative very you know this is a landscaping item not just something they planted there for any reason they're over there and drooling away (laughs) it don't matter what it is to them does it i don't care yeah they're just hungry who we got on tonight jay well we got al gambardella and al is a longtime butcher out of connecticut He's uh, chopped up many a deer, and I thought it would be interesting that if we covered head-to-toe what you should do with your deer, not only in the field, but all the way through to the freezing process, uh, packaging up your meats, and just seemed like something we really should cover being the Big Buck Registry. Yeah, it sounds like a great interview, and and I'm ready to get on with Al and uh, see what he's got to say about uh, cutting up your own deer. Let's get after it. All right, let's get him on. Al, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Well, it's great to be here with you. I appreciate you joining us. This is our deer cutting episode, and uh, I thought uh, of no one better than yourself to join us to fill us in on all the do's and don'ts of deer cutting. What's the number one most important thing that we should know? Perfect. The most important thing is it, it, it starts in the field. It, it really is 
you know, the major part of, you know, how your uh, processing is going to turn out. You know, you, of course, you know, there is instances where, you know, game has to be left overnight. You know, the most important thing is, uh, you know, if you take the animal and you see the animal go down, you know, sometimes you're hunting with friends or whatever and you want to give them time, you know, they want to hunt also. You don't want to get down. You don't want to, you know, ruin their hunt, you know, whatever. So, you know, you do let the animal sit. Of course, it's it's getting to it, you know, as quick as, quick as possible because, you know, you want the cool-down process to start. Okay. You know, you uh, you want to you know, field dress it. You want to get everything out, you know, uh, you know, especially the urine sac and, you know, uh, the intestinal tract. And, you know, you want to make sure that it, it's done, you know, nice and clean. You take your time. The biggest problem that I've come across is, deer that are perfectly hit but are, are ruined in the field they bust the gut sack you know it's, it's all over everything and uh you know at that point it, it becomes a real problem the more it sits in there you know the bacteria you know it, it gets into the tenderloins that's that's number one you know it's, it, it soaks into the cavity you know it needs to be washed out immediately gotcha and now, that's, that's that's your biggest thing al what what makes you an authority on the subject matter you've run your own deer cunning service before correct Yes, yes. I've run the service for, oh, maybe 12, 13 years for uh, the outside, you know, for the public. I've been cutting for myself for uh, oh, 20 years. Basically, uh, I started doing it. I was self-taught, and I, and I had a good friend of mine who was in the business who kind of helped me along. Uh, the biggest problem, and it really wasn't a problem, but, you know, I was very picky. And, uh, you know, when I went to different processing facilities, you know, uh, I just couldn't find the job that, that I wanted. You know, I, I was very picky as far as, you know, cleaning, as far as, uh, you know, uh, getting as much meat as I possibly could get off of it and packaging it, you know, which is, you know, the three most important things is, you know, you, you want to get that animal to a cooler, you know, first thing. You want to make sure the butcher has a cooler. You know, I've always had a walk-in cooler. You know, I was able to hang the deer for, you know, a week you know, and then, uh, you know, process it myself, which was, it's also rewarding, but, uh, you know, that's basically how I got into the, the business of doing it. Other people had seen, uh, you know, how I did it, and, you know, mm-hmm. they started asking me, hey, can you cook for me? And, and that's how kind of kind of we started. But, uh, gotcha. You know, but, so you, you basically there was, uh, you had friends and, and others that realized that you knew what you were doing. Eventually that led into a deer cutting service that you, you offered. Um, Al, where are you from? Yeah, I'm from uh, Wallingford, Connecticut. Okay. And how many, you? I think you had told me that your your shop is not up and running right now and that you, you want to focus more on hunting this past year. When you were up and running, how many deer were you running through your shop? Oh, uh, I would cut, I could cut anywhere from 40 to 50 to well over 100. It was just uh, what I wanted to take in. I mean, uh, to tell you the truth, the word of mouth was incredible. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, people telling other people and, and liking, you know, the end result. But, yeah, I usually would run through. I could do anywhere, pick and choose from, you know, 40 to well over 100 if I, if I want to go full bore. Okay. So in a typical season, you'd run through 100 deer. And do you have any help usually? Yeah, yeah. I had a friend of mine, uh, Tom Pendred. I started out by myself, uh, you know, just doing – you know, maybe seven or eight, like the first season, and then it jumped quickly. You know, okay. we uh, started picking up uh, other clients, and I took a friend of mine on uh, that helped me out. Gotcha. Now, if you could walk us through, like uh, you mentioned, that the first thing that is the uh, the best thing to do is to get the animal cooled down as fast as possible, get all the 
the innards out, make sure you clean out the cavity correctly, get out all the intestines and the, the urine sac, and just clean it right out as much as possible, correct? Yes. Okay. From that point forward, what should we do next once that's done? Once that's done, you want to get it to, uh, you know, a cooler. It depends on, you know, where you are and what the temperature is. I mean, of course, if, you know, the temperature outside is, you know, below 40 degrees, then, you know, that's all well and good. You can keep it, keep it in a barn. You want to keep it out of direct sunlight because direct sunlight, you know, sun rays, just like anything else, it's like an icicle. It could be 20 degrees out, 25 degrees out, but yet you look and you have, you know, icicles are melting because they're being hit by the sun's rays. Okay. Because the sun's rays is actually heating them up. Uh, so you want to keep it on the sun, but you want to get it to a cooler because, you know, the optimum temperature is 38 degrees, and you want to get it in there, and, and actually, you know, those first four to six hours, you know, play an important role, you know, getting that uh, meat cooled down, and then that also starts the breaking down process. Right. Which is actually, you know, that's that's the most important part. So, if you live in a climate that's that runs north of forty degrees during the hunting season, then you really want to turn to a cooler of some sort if you can. Yeah, yeah, walk-in cooler. You could pack the body cavity with ice, you know. And if you pack the body cavity with ice, is the one of the key things to do is get the ice bags in you know, like a garbage bag or something that's not going to saturate the cavity. Because your T-loins are very, very porous. You okay. Know, and uh, the tenderloins, will, they'll soak up anything, anything in the body cavity. That's also another important thing that I didn't mention is if you can get them out in the field. You know, if you can bring a clean bag with you and, and, and get those out, you know, because you don't want the deer sitting on its back and there's always pooling blood inside of it. And it'll get inside those tenderloins, and believe me, yeah. you know, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll taste it. Okay. I'd like to get into some of the cuts in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions about temperature. Um, once you've got it hanging somewhere, it, let's say you don't have a cooler, but you're south of 40 degrees, is there a temperature that's too cold? Well, you don't want to freeze the meat. That's something you, you, you don't want to do. You don't want it to freeze because then you're, you're stopping, you know, the breaking down process. You, you want that meat to be unfrozen. So you don't want, you know, temperatures, you know, below 32 degrees or, you know, anywhere, uh, you know, lower than 32 for periods of time and that meat starts to freeze, you're, you're just, you're, you're doing the reverse. You know, you, you stop the process, you know, the meat is frozen at that point. I mean, it'll preserve it, but you're not getting the full effect of what you're trying to do and that's you're trying to get that, that bacteria in the meat or the enzyme that's in there to start loosening that, that tissue up and, you know, loosening up the muscle and everything and that's, that's what that temperature is there for. If it's frozen, then that, that stops the process. It's just like taking a deer and going, taking it home and cutting it up after, you know, seven or eight hours of it hanging and then throw it in the freezer. Okay. You, you, you've done the, you've done the opposite. It's nothing wrong with the meat, but you haven't gotten, uh, you know, what you're looking for. You know, you ain't gotten the, uh, full effect of the hanging process. Okay. So basically, if you're north of 40 degrees, you're, in, you're welcoming in bacterial growth and decay of meat. Anything too cold and you're stopping the natural aging process to where it na- kind of almost naturally tenderizes itself. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, Dusty, what do you have for questions for Al in the, the, the pre-cut stage of the deer? You know, Al, uh, a, a lot of people, they want to say that infection areas are okay for the processor to go ahead and cut the meat. What's your opinion on if, if you get into skinning out a deer and you run into some infection, say from a previous wound or arrow shoot that, that didn't penetrate, what do you do when you run into infection? Is that an instant no good for the meat? What's your opinion on that? 
Well, it, it depends. It depends how far it's gotten. Of course, if it's green and, you know, it has an odor to it, you know, you, it, it, it's, it, it's a touchy situation. I mean, you have to cut away from it, just like, uh, you know, when they operate on a person, you know, they, that infection, you have to stay away from it. You have to cut far enough back so that you're clear of it. Uh, a lot of times we do get deer that uh, have had previous, we get deer with arrows lodged in their shoulder, you know, but at that point, you know, usually they're uh, grown over, they, they've healed up, uh, you know, and uh, you're able to cut around them. But anything, even like, you know, the wound, uh, the wounded area itself, you get the blood clot, and also what you'll get is called marbling, it'll trace through. You have to cut all that out far, far back, you know, you have to go, that extra mile just to make sure that you're not even close to that because, yeah, because you can get sick and you will, especially from anything that's a, a marble blood cot. So, yeah, you do have to cut that out. And you have to be very careful. You, you want to stay as far away from that infected area as possible. You know, you have to basically inspect it as you're, as you're cutting it. Excellent. Another quick question on getting into the, the first stages of cutting a deer. You know, you've skinned it out. You you let it hang. How, how long are you letting your meat hang? What What's a recommended uh, period of time? Time as far as days that you want to allow that meat to hang for you know the breakdown of the meat uh, the muscles and, and the best tenderization you got a set day that you like to let them hang for and then process well actually what we did this year is because unfortunately when i was processing deer for people you know you're getting in numbers of deer at a time you're getting three three you could have three four deer come in one day and five six seven deer come in the next day you know, you have to get on them. You know, unfortunately, when I ran the business, you know, I had to tell guys, hey, you know, once, you know, the cooler started to fill up, I had to start, you know, processing the deer. You know, so usually it would be, it could be anywhere from two to three days before I processed it. But the optimum was seven days. You know, and the option was given, you know, if they wanted to do the, the seven-day period, you know, they would have to pay for a cooler storage. But, yeah, seven days. Actually, this year we took a couple of deer and actually did them. One we did after, you know, 48 hours, and the other one we let set in a full seven days. And it was considerably noticeable on the seven-day cut, the condition of the meat, and on the same deer. Remember, the same age class, too. So if you can let it sit for... You know, five to seven days, you know, that's great. You know, that's that, that's actually perfect. You can even let it go even longer than that. There's guys who let, let their deer hang eight to ten days. But you just got to be careful as far as, you know, when it starts to get into that longer period that, you know, you're not getting into a point where, you know, the meat now is... Uh, going in the opposite direction. The optimum time, I would say, would be seven days okay. under under perfect conditions. That's 38 degrees. You know what I mean? Right, right. Not, yep. you know, gotcha. Excellent. Yep. Go ahead, Dustin. What's the most common mistake that's made or, or left in a deer that's, you know, somebody brings to you that they've, uh, you know, they bring it in, they say, yeah, I've properly field dressed it, and you get in the cutting on it. What What's something that would be um, a little pointer that uh, a hunter could take to the woods that, you know, what's something that's commonly left in there that that kind of a unnoticeable area well commonly left in there i'd have to say you know a lot of times you get the intestinal tract left in there sometimes you get the urine sac that's left in there uh you know uh another thing is the biggest biggest problem that i've come across i might have mentioned it earlier is they penetrate the gut sac and uh you know, the, the other thing is, too, is, is when, when they take the deer out of the woods, they're, they're not careful. 
you know, a lot of guys, the inside of the, the deer is filthy. I mean, uh, you know, it's going through mud, it's going through there's leaves, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's not sanitary. You don't know what you're dragging through. you got, you know, pulled up water, you know, you're dragging that deer through stagnant water that who knows has what for bacteria, you know what I mean? Uh, but the biggest the biggest problem is, is I, I have to say that I've come across because I've seen so many deer that were just perfectly hit, uh, and what winds up happening is, is they, they, they break that gut sack or they even, uh, you know, break the urine sack. You know, I've seen, I've seen that a few times and, you know, it's, it's a distinct smell. You know, you, you know, you know, it's been done, especially once it gets inside the cooler and it's in an enclosed area. You know, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. I would have to say, just take your time. It's really important to make sure that you take your time and you get everything out without puncturing anything. That's, that's the biggest thing. Yep. That's a right good, on. that's a good point there, uh, Al, is that, just because you made a good shot and just because you did a good job cleaning the deer out, if you're doing a traditional drag and you're not putting the deer on a full wheel or you're not putting it in a cart or something like that to keep it out of the, the mud and leaves, there's a lot of just natural bacteria that's out there in, uh, just on the ground. So if you start dragging it through swamps and muds, there's a lot of other bacteria that will quickly be introduced to your meat um, along the way. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah, and the favorite part, everybody loves to say it, is, is their tenderloins. And those things are, you know, they're, they're very porous. And, you know, anything that gets into that body cavity soaks right into them. They're like a sponge. Right. You know, that's that's why anything that gets into that body cavity, you know, you know, it depends on where you're hot. You know, some guys, like you said, have four-wheelers. They can pick them up, put them on their four-wheeler. If, if they can, you know, get that thing to to a hose somewhere and just, you know, don't spray it out with a, you know, a heavy jet stream because you're just, you're doing the opposite. But if you get a nice flow in there of water and, you know, clean it all out and then take, you know, get your T-loins out. I mean, I have guys bring me deer that are impeccable, that are impeccable. They, they get them home, they clean them out. And also once they do rinse out their, their body cavity, they blot it out. You know, they'll, they'll take paper towels and they'll, they'll blot out the inside. So, you know, it, it, it dries off nicely. But that's that's really the key thing. Gotcha. Um, here's a quick question that I had for you. Is it, uh, and I, I think this is kind of a debate amongst all hunters, is it important to wear gloves when cleaning out a deer? That, 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 that's that's a very good question. Uh, you know, you get a gut shot deer and, you know, you got bacteria. You know, you get, uh, you know, you got cuts on your hands or something and uh, that gets introduced, you know, inside your bloodstream. Who knows what can happen? I couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But I do know that, you know, feces and urine and anything like that is not something that you want, you know, right. on you. you right. know, just just like you would treat, you know, another person if they got hurt, you would take and, and wear rubber gloves. It's probably a very good idea. And I have to tell you, through all my years of hunting, I've gutted a lot of deer. I've never used gloves, which I probably I probably should have. Okay. Uh, yeah. In, in that, I, I prefer aspect. not to use gloves. I don't know why. Just something about it um dusty how what, how do you clean your deer out in the field you know i i i used to not and um i had a friend of mine who is a taxidermist and got an infection while working on uh an animal you know a deer head and he got an infection and had to have some of his thumb cut off from this infection so then uh, after that point i said why not you know I, I just throw them in my i got a bag that i carry my knife and my uh, binoculars and a couple calls and some scent i just go ahead and throw uh, two pair of rubber gloves in there and, and I got them with me when I go to the field. So, you know, I, I kind of recommend it. Not that uh, more or less infection, but just the fact that if you cut yourself or you have a cut, 
from say let's say you cut yourself at work and that's in that blood that's naturally going to get in there and you know usually you're within probably an hour hour and a half of home you can wash it out but there's always that chance once that blood dries in that wound that you're going to pick up an infection that the common peroxide or something can't draw out of there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Al, let's no, go. No, he does make that. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Al. No, I was just going to say, he does, does make, uh, yeah, he makes a great point because, like I said, too, is when when the paramedics come and they're working on somebody, you know, a human being, they that's the first thing they do. So you would think that any, uh, you know, bacteria from, you know, the, that the animal has in its, you know, bloodstream or you know, wherever it was hit through, you know, you puncture the liver, you know, you know, it's in the liver, you know, that's, uh, that's not good. So it's a great point. So let's, uh, let's bring, let's go back to the cooler and the hanging. We've, uh, we've successfully shot a deer. We've harvested it. We are, we've cleaned it out in the right way. We've got it back to the shop. We're hanging it in a cooler or a garage out of the sunlight um, in 40-degree weather or less, somewhere around 38 is the optimal temperature. Now we've got a deer hanging in our garage, and we want to start It's seven days later. Let's say it's seven days later. Have we, or is it important to take the hide off of the deer, or can we leave the hide on the deer while it's aging? Yeah, you could basically do it either way. You could take the hide off or you could leave the hide on. Uh, I've always left the hide on because it's a thin-skinned animal. Mm-hmm. You know, the body cavity is open, so the air is circulating through the inside and also through the outside, you know, of the animal. And you'll notice, too, when you when you skin it, you know, if it's left, you know, for six, you know, seven days, that the cold air will penetrate. I mean, the, the meat is it's actually it's very cold. It's actually really... Uh, Really, not it's not tough to process, but you know uh, your fingers do get cold. I mean, especially if you're wearing just a pair of latex gloves. But right. yeah, the, the hide we've always we've always left the hide on. You could take the hide off. Some guys, you know, they'll uh, use what's called like a, a, a cheesecloth bag over the top. Okay. If you don't, and you just expose it to the air, what's going to happen is your your uh, outside is going to dry. Okay. You know, and you'll have to skim that off. Gotcha. Okay. Um, when you're skinning the deer and taken off the hide let's seven days later and you're ready to and you left the hide on to, to cure what tell me about the the knives that you're using to take the hide off do you have a is it a long knife short knife what what are some of the, the tools of the skilled master here that that would um, make your job easier well, we've always used the short uh, skinning knife. Actually, when you're skinning game, just like the taxidermist will tell you, you know, the smaller the knife, the better. You know, you're just remo- you're removing the skin, you know, loosening it up and, and getting it off. You don't, you don't want your conventional, uh, you know, an 8-inch or 6-inch uh, butchering knife, you know, uh, to do that. You know, a small skinning knife, you know, uh, a round nose knife, that, that works perfectly. Uh, you know, uh, Wyoming knives, you can even use those. You know, those are small enough uh where they, they take it off nice. You want a, a nice sharp knife, and uh, you want you want a, a small knife. You know, nothing large, just a small, small skinning knife. That uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my. I got a Schrage, I think S C H R A G E. Yeah. Um, I think maybe like a two and a half inch uh, skinning knife that I've I've used for for years. It's probably that knife I've used probably since since the beginning since I started. And gotcha. that, that actually works perfect. I, the knife that I use, I think the blade is about three and a half inches, and it, I go through it much faster than I would if I take took out my six inch blade. Just uh, the smaller knife just seems to be more efficient for whatever reason. Yeah, well, you're only using the tip of that knife. That's all that's being used. Right. It's not like when you're cutting up or you're processing your meat and you're cutting steaks and you're using, 
you know, an eight-inch knife where, you know, you're using the bulk of that knife, you know, to cut through, you know, wherever it may be. It's the top round, the bottom round, or the rump. You know, you're using all of that blade. When you're skinning, you're just using the tip of that knife, and that's what you need to be nice and sharp. So it doesn't have to be a very long knife. It just has to be very sharp, you know, a nice, you know, round nose, and it'll go right through it. Gotcha. Dusty, what type of uh, utensils do you use when you're cutting out the hide off of a deer? You know, uh, it's kind of crazy, but this is what I do. I take and uh, early season, I buy a pack of brand new razor blades. I take a piece of uh, leather, wrap it halfway up the razor blade, and I skin with a leather glove on. And uh, there's no better edge than a laser edge off of a razor blade to keep an edge, you know, and be sharp from the start. So as I go through, if I run into a dull razor blade, I just swap them out. I've got three or four laying there. Most of the time, we skin out four or five deer at once, and uh, I just go right on with the razor blade. Gotcha. Seems seems like that would make sense, Al. Wouldn't that's does that seem like a good? Uh, you're doing four or five deer at a time. Have some razor blades around. Oh yeah, because it sounds like like all, like I said, all you're using is is that you know that little bit of that uh, that blade. That's all right. you need. Sounds all reasonable. you're doing is just getting on there and you're separating that membrane and you know pulling it down. You know, so that's that's actually a very good idea. Yeah, the the first couple times was kind of interesting. I, I had a, a, an elderly <laughs> gentleman tell me that you got you know you got to be careful with it. It just seems like once I do it with a razor blade like that, and uh, I got so used to it, it's really fast because you actually you know you're just skinning your fingertips and your hand right down through there you're pulling with one hand and, and cutting with the other and it, it just seems like it's uh pretty quick for me oh yeah and it's got to be razor sharp so you're just nipping everything as you're going down and it's just coming right off you know yeah. I, I, I can definitely see it that makes sense you know, and it's sharp that, that's what you need you need you know it's, it's sharpness you're not using you know like you said you're using just that small portion and that's just separating the membrane you know as you're going down and you know like you said pulling with one hand and you know, loosening it up. Gotcha. Yeah, just it just uh, you know, with a with a knife, it just it seems like that you you, you don't need no pressure when you're skinning. Um, and where, when I ran a knife, I, I seem to want to catch the hide here and there, and and that you know, obviously, if somebody's going to do a tanning or anything with their hide, they don't want to nick that. So I, the razor blades seem to be quick and and fast. And when I do a cape job, the razor blade is right there, and it, you know, you're in close quarters anyway when you're caping one out to do a. a shoulder mount it seems like that razor blade runs right around you can pull the skin down and really get into it you know real real quick real real sharp and it just that's just what works for me you know gotcha oh yeah yeah and you don't have all that extra blade that you know you might wind up like you're saying cutting hide with it exactly al so now that we've got the deer kind of caped down how far down do you go before you cut the the hide completely off and and um, sever the head from the body how far down should we go oh i go right to the chin i go all the way down right to the chin and that's 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 where i cut it off the you know, chin we, we go all the way down yeah right to the chin of the deer you know okay we, we, we cut it off gotcha you know, right at the throat. and about where do you take the head off of the the body Right there, right at the right at the chin. We, we you know, you, you get in there. You could actually even. There's two ways you could do it. If you get down low enough and you get in between the vertebrae, you could just pop it. You could actually turn the head, you know, and, and spin it, and you could actually break it. Gotcha. You know, on most animals, you can't. Even your biggest buck, you get in between that vertebrae there, you know, with the knife. You know, you cut all the way through. You know, or what you could do too is you could take a pair of loppers and then you can cut it. You know, there. The only problem is, is with anything like that, that lopper or whatever you use to cut that off has to be 
sanitary. It has to be clean. You know right. what I mean? You don't want to grab that out of your shed, you know, after somebody's been cutting poison ivy with it or something and, you know, it's been laying around and God knows what and, and start cutting, you know, legs and heads off and, you know, introduce something to the meat. Right. Should we have a separate set of tools for doing all the, the work on the deer from all our other stuff? Yeah, yeah. See, that's. I'm glad you you mentioned that. The number one thing is when, when we're in the cooler and we're skinning and quartering, the knives that we use in there never make it to the to the shop. Never make it uh, to the stainless steel table where we're doing our, our final processing. Hmm. You know, uh, we use, everything we use stays and stays in there, and you know, there's separate knives that we use that will never never go in the cooler. Cause you got to remember too is when you're skinning. You know, like anything else, there's tarsal gland, there's all kinds of stuff, and we actually shift gloves also. Once we're done getting the hide off the animal, those gloves come off that we've had on. Okay, they, so the yeah. the stuff in the field stays in the field, and then it goes into a real butchering processing area, and nothing crosses the line for the most part, except for the animal. Yeah, yeah, we you, you have to keep everything separated. You also have to keep a close eye, especially when we were doing it, because we were getting animals in that were you know, partially, you know, stomach shot and, you know, that's there too. You know, it, it's around your hands, you know, you can't avoid it. It's on the hide. So yes, you, you got to be real careful. Sometimes what you'll have to do too is, you know, midstream, you might have to wash a knife. You know what I mean? Especially right. if uh, you're doing something like that. Uh, you know, sometimes people want their tenderloins regardless. You know, you can tell them to your blue in the face, you know, I, I, I would need it. You know, I'm not taking them. You know, I'll give them to you if you want, but I've done that on several occasions. But you go in there now with that knife and cut out that T-loin and there was, this, you know, the stomach was breached or whatever. You know, it gets on the knife, so you got to just uh, make sure that you keep an eye on everything you do, and you know, you change your gloves after you skin. And I, I know it, it seems tedious, and that was the only thing with us. We were we were that way. So for us, processing deer didn't just take an hour. You know what I mean? Gotcha. It took us three and a half hours on an average though, two guys. To do too is is the cleaning process. It's a before and after. Uh, you have to clean those utensils after you're done. And then you say, okay, I cleaned them. I got my deer. I'm going to start. And that's the wrong thing. You have to clean those knives again. They've been sitting, you know, uh, you know ours, are, ours stay contained. You know, all our knives go into stainless steel uh, pans that are, that, are, that are covered, you know. But still, you have to clean again because you don't know, you know, what's, what's formed on the surface. Right. You know, you have to clean with a bleach solution, which you can get that on the Internet. You know, if you look up, it'll, it'll show you the uh, the amount you need to mix with what amount of water, and that's solid surface, and there's all different, you know, stainless steel surface as far as what you should be using, because also with the bleach solution, you can use too much, you know, so you want to make sure that you're, you're using the right cleaning solution, and you have to clean, you have to clean your equipment before and after. And before, right? So uh, before you start, oh, yeah. after you're done, before you start. And before. And before you start again, right. yeah, we right. we were we were really really particular on uh, you know uh, cleaning. Uh, that's was was you know a half an hour we would spend you know cleaning our stuff. When we were done butchering the deer, and then we would you know clean it again you know at the starting process you know because you, you want to start out clean, you want to end clean. Right. So okay, so now we've we're we're clean. Everything's been hung. It's it's the right temperature. We're now down to the carcass. Where do you start? 
where do you start? You're going to start naturally. You're going to start. You're going to take your T lines out if they haven't been taken out. Okay. You know those those are are, are fairly simple. Fairly simple to, to take out. What you want to do is you you want to just look at them and you could see the form of the T line. Any fat or anything that's on them and you know in front of them, you want to take that off. You know, I'm going to be talking to you like, you know, you're, you're, it's your first year. Yes, please. You know, so you want you want to remove all that. And then you can have that spinal column that separates the two. And what you want to do is run that blade down and along it, all the way down towards the head area of the deer. You're going in that direction, and you'll see where it ends. And then you run it up, and it'll go up into the hind quarter. And if you run your hands on the T-loin... As you're bringing the knife out, up, you'll feel where it buttons into the hindquarter, where it tendons out. Okay, so it's like like a a muscle group. You'll see a, a break of some sort. Yeah. Well, you'll feel that where it thins out, right. and that's 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 where you want to cut it. Okay. I mean, yeah, you also you might have a tiny little half inch piece or whatever that that stays up in there, but that's you know that's where it ties in. That's where the muscle group connects. And what you want to do is is you cut across that, and then you just start pulling down the tenderloin. And especially if the deer's been hung, it'll start to fall out. You'll notice that. You won't really have to do a lot, put a lot of pressure, but it'll start to fall out, and you just start nipping behind it because now you'll see that cage behind it you know you'll see where it connects and you just keep nipping nipping until it all the way rolls out and it'll roll right out for you gotcha you know and then you, you, you take those and, and you separate them whether you bring in uh you know a, a pan with you a dish or you know uh you know we, we always you know separated those we, we would put them in a, a stainless steel pan tenderloin and the back strap are different the tenderloin's on the yeah, inside. Yeah, the backstrap, exactly. The tenderloin is on the inside, which is, it, those are the loins, the loins of the animal. Yeah. Uh, and they're on the inside. Those are the smaller uh, version, if you wanted to compare them to your your backstrap uh, or your ribeye is what they're, they're conventionally called. Okay. Because they sit on both sides of the outside of the rib cage. And if you actually were to look, say you look down the animal and you cut the hind quarters off, they would look like two eyes, two sets of eyes. Right. You know, with the uh, with the spine being the nose, the center. You right. Know, so that's why the, those are actually called the ribeyes. Gotcha. All right. All right. So we got out. We've taken out the tenderloins. Then we go to the the ribeye. Now what I do is I start up at the hind quarter, and you'll see where the hind quarter tapers in. And what I do right there too is I kind of loosen up. You'll see what looks like a flank piece that comes across. Well, you see that hind ride round out and go into the spinal cord. You kind of want to follow that with a knife and there is a groove in there and and you can cut across that to the spinal column and that's where i start i do that actually on both sides the left and the right side and and you'll feel it if if you're a little off you're a little off but you'll feel to where it goes in there and that knife just slides in between you know the vertebrae and, and it'll go right in then the next step is to run the knife down the spinal column from the, the hind quarter you're going to follow the spine you're going to stay tight to it almost like filleting a fish you're going to stay tight to that and you're going to run that down all the way through and all the way through the neck into where you cut it off that's okay. where, where dusty was saying because that 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 back strap is going to tuck into that shoulder you know so, and and that's actually the, the, the best part of uh, of your ribeye is that part it's not your hind quarter end oh is that right where it tucks in. So yes right. it's the thinner it's the tail as I, as I, I like to call it you know it's the tail end the tail of the ribeye uh, is, is is reversed it's not towards the tail it's towards the front yeah yeah it's 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 it tucks in behind that shoulder blade gotcha and then so once once you follow that that spine on both sides of the spine 
What you're going to notice too is, and if you, you get your hand, there's a membrane on the top of that back strap. You may have to nip it a little with the knife, but you, it, it's very easy to see. And there may be a nice fat layer if it's, you know, later in the year and, you know, especially if it's a big deer, he's going to have a big fat layer on there. What you want to kind of do is tuck your hand in between the fat layer and the top of that uh, back strap. And then what I do is I'll run my hand all the way down into the shoulder blade and it'll separate that membrane from your back strap. And the tougher part of that membrane is going to be up towards the hind quarter because you may have a real good layer of fat. You might not be able to even get your hand in there. It might be too tough to break it. Yeah. You know, uh, commonly I, 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 can, I can't break it. I'll stick my hands in between it and rotate upward towards the hind quarter and break. If you can't, you can just nip away at that membrane until you clear the uh, the ribeye. You'll see where you know where where it ends on the opposite side, you know, of the spine. Then what I typically what I do is I go in the top there and I loosen it from the top down and I follow the rib cage back towards the outside of the deer and down towards its its belly side and loosen it up and it'll start to fall out, especially on a, a, an aged deer you'll start to notice it come out. All you're doing is following that contour. You're following the contour of the bone and, you know, the bone, you know, and the meat where it meets. You're following that. And you'll notice it. You might be a little high, you know, your first time or whatever, and then you just you, you dig a little deeper and then it'll start to fall out. And then, like Dusty had said, when you get down towards the shoulder, you want to keep going, keep going, keep going. And actually, what I'll do is I'll actually have that ribeye now in your hand. It's long. You've gotten it. What you can do is pull downward towards the neck region, and it should pull all the way out, especially if the deer is staged. If not, you might have to go in there and nip it a little. But if you've done it right, you'll notice that you have the tail end of that back strap, and it's very thin when it comes out. It's You don't want to cut it. If you cut it off prematurely, then you're going to see it's thick. It tapers. It makes that taper okay so you want that fit in you know and then you're going to repeat that on the the opposite side okay uh, I, I think that's a pretty common problem that uh that you know somebody doing their own cutting maybe it's your first time and you get down on that back strap or ribeye whether either way you call it you get down that shoulder blade you know it's a common mistake to cut that off right there because you, you don't realize that that's not the end of it you know actually you're, you're cutting off the best part of the whole ribeye is down by the shoulder blade where it thins out is that correct Al? Yeah, yeah, that, that that is common. I mean, you know, so you want to pull that and just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. And actually, you can pull it out. The, you can pull it out of there. If you separated the membrane with your hand, like I said, you know, in the beginning, you can pull that right out. You know, pushing downward, keeping downward pressure on it, you can yank that thing right out. You know, uh, there might be times where you might not, but then you just you just get deep in there because what you're doing is it's no harm, there's no foul. All your what are you, what are you going to do if you cut too much? So you're into some neck meat, you know. I'd rather lose the neck meat than lose the uh, you know that part of the uh, right the back strap. Gotcha. All right, so we're through the back strap. Where do you go next? Okay, your back straps are done. You've repeated the same, you know, on both sides, left and right side of the animal. Then we take the shoulder blade off. And what we'll do here in taking the shoulder blade off is we don't just take the pure blade. Uh, you know, uh, we take a wide sweep. We sweep deep into the, the rib cage, which is uh, all your flank. And uh, you want to sweep through that and come down. And you'll notice that you'll, you'll hit the blade of the shoulder. You want to stay tight. You just stay in tight to your rib cage. You know, and, and you keep going and working that, working that until you get to your neck. Now it's optional. You can sweep right to your neck and you can follow it right to the neck bone. And you can take the neck meat off too with it. Or you can cut. And then this is a tough part because it's not really very distinct. But you'll see the old 
overlap from the neck to the shoulder. And if you break that, then you can separate the shoulder with the flank on it from the neck if okay. you wanted to save the neck for something else. Gotcha. But that's where that's where your typical wound hit is too. And it takes time. But once you start to realize, you know, how to do it and what you're doing is if that thing's been shot behind the shoulder, you want to start, of course, closer to the blade, and you want to stay ahead of the clotting and ahead of any barbling. And, and it's, it's kind of easy to do while it's hanging and throwing that on top of the table, <clears throat> you know, and, and spreading it on the table. You can actually stay ahead of, of the wound. You just have to start closer to the shoulder blade. You know, I won't get into any other type of hit where, you know, you get bone fragments and stuff like that, then, you know, you're in for a chore, you know. You're right. going to have to separate it piece by piece as you're going along. The best thing to do is save that piece for for last on, on your, you know, for your final process. Gotcha. All right, so we've taken off the shoulder blades on both sides. Uh, what do you do with the shoulder blade? You take it off and, and put it on the table for processing? Yeah, yeah, we'll take it off and we'll put it, uh, you know, in a cooler, you know, to transport back inside, you know, and then it'll go to the table. Once that's done, you know, especially if it's your first time doing it and you're not tight to anything, go around the cavity. You know, go around the, the, what's left of the, uh, you know, the rib cage. Go around and look. You know, you'll have flank that's there. You know, that you may, maybe you're not caught. You have pieces of the neck that you maybe you left on. You know, uh, you can nitpick, you know, and, and generally sometimes we will do that. You know what I mean? There'll be pieces here and there, especially if the animal was shot a certain way and we really had to go around marbling and we had to go around the blood clot and everything. We'll, we'll find pieces that are, that are good. We'll, we'll take the extra effort to, you know, nitpick some stuff because we know that, okay, this guy's going to lose, you know some meat so that's what you want to do you want to go over that make sure that's done then the next thing to do is right where the hind quarter connects to that spinal cord where you took your back straps out mm-hmm. is right there you'll see that void and that's what you want to do is take and either take a pair you probably have to take a pair of loppers you can't break it you cut in between uh you know your vertebrae your your, your rib cage up there and then you could you could snap it you just you, you gentle pressure pushing it upward depends on the size of the animal too you know i'm, I'm talking Basically, on you know your average size doe, you get a bigger buck, you'll have to probably cut through it, you know, bone saw through it. Or if you have a clean pair of loppers that you bought from day one, that's that's all you use for. Yeah, you just you'll lop that, and then you can just uh, you know put that in your trash can or your plastic bag. Okay, all right. So we're we're basically left with neck meat still, and we've got the hindquarters. So you've, what do you do anything with the neck meat? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we strip the neck, or sometimes I get a lot of guys that want the neck whole. They use it for gross and uh there's also a lot of good crock pot recipes for it. That's the best that I've heard. Uh, typically, what we'll do is is we'll uh, we'll bone it out. We'll bone out the neck, and you know we'll use it for burger. Okay. That's, that's typically what, what it's used for. We'll grind it. It is painstaking. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, you know uh, fat, you know, sinew uh, membrane in, in the neck region. So you can go through it, clean it up, and you can you know grind it, you clean it as, as best as you possibly can, and then you grind it, you know, into ground meat. Mm-hmm. Some guys like to keep it, and they they even uh, use it in a crock pot. I've had I've had people who said, "Oh no, just you know, bone it out and leave it to the side." And they claim if they crock pot it and let it sit long enough, that it'll separate itself. If you're going to clean up the meat on the neck, how much detail should I do it? Getting rid of all the connective tissues and the membranes and all that stuff. Oh, you want to be in, in great detail, you know, when, when you're doing it because you don't want that. Any of that left, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's stringy, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a very tough region, you know, just because of, uh, you know, the tissue and, uh, you know, the membrane, 
you, you want to get as much of that as you can off. Okay. Know, really, if you're using it to grind, yeah, you want it as as clean as possible. You know, you don't get a ton of meat off of it, but you know, it, it's it's worth a little extra effort. Okay. So basically, what's left now are the hind quarters, correct? Yeah, the hind quarters. There's there's a few different ways. Sometimes guys will uh, saw through it. They'll take saw through the pelvic bone all the way down, and then they'll take the bone off on the table. You can do that. You can saw through that, separate it, then bring it to your table and deal with it there. I don't like to deal with that on the table, only because that area, you know, if somebody's broken the urine bag, if pellets have been on it, droppings, you know, that's, I don't like to have that in there. So I actually remove the hindquarters, I bone it out from the pelvic bone right off the hanger. Mm. And that is a little, that is, yeah, that's a little bit of an art. And uh, it, it takes some process, it, it, it's a process. If you have to, you start from the hind end up towards the tail area. And the pelvic bone will actually come in, it'll come out from that hind quarter, and then it sharply comes back in. Okay. So you have to follow that. And then, then you follow the pelvic bone all the way out, and you'll hit where the ball sits in the socket. Yeah. And that, that'll pop right out. You know, you got to get in there. you got to, you know, separate it, you know, open it up, and you'll start to see with the knife. It'll start to open. And there's a groove in there, and you get that knife in that groove. It's almost like opening a, a clam, and and it'll pop. And and you pop that off, and you you make you got to you have to follow. You have to follow that pelvic bone. It, it, it's hard to you know say it on you know radio without you know somebody actually seeing it happen. Right. A lot of times, what's going to happen is you're going to cut it shy. And then when you get your both of your hindquarters off, you're going to notice, okay, well, here's the pelvic bone and, you know, I got I got meat on it, which isn't the worst thing in the world. You know, you, you can just take it off. But from there on is how you're going to learn on how that configures, you know, how the shape is. You know, once you learn, I've done it so much that it's second nature. You know, I don't, I, I really do, I really do. So sometimes I do have to think about it. Sometimes I'll make an error and, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll cut a little shy. But once once you get into the groove there, it's it's, it's quite simple. Now... Your pelvic bone is totally off. There's nothing. There's nothing to deal with. There's no meat on it. It just goes in the trash. Gotcha. Cool. So it's basically down to bone at that point. All right. Yeah. Dusty, exactly. what other questions do you have uh, before I get into some other uh, particulars about the cuts? Uh, back to the cutting the hindquarters there. It, the best thing I can tell you is to get in and do one side. Once you get in there, you do it and you, you start to cut in. If you make a mistake, learn from your mistake. It uh, it's pretty. It it'll guide your knife around through there. If you if you take your time and, and you use your you know let your knife fill its way, it it'll guide you around through there till you get down to where that that uh, socket is, and then you pop that out and just keep working right with it. And at different angles, it, it it's all about having knife having your knife in there and, and getting used to the way that it needs to be cut uh you know that pretty much the way al said it there is, is the way i would do it you know first getting started once you do so many it becomes second nature and you can kind of just float right around through there and ride on the bone with your knife without gouging in the doll your knife and it, it goes pretty good gotcha all right um so basically we've got it we've taken the whole deer apart we've got the ribeyes we've got the front shoulders uh, we've got the hindquarters, and and we're basically left with the hindquarters and the front shoulders to process at this point. Is that correct, Al? Yes, yes. So now you're you're going to start uh, with whatever you want to start with. You start with your shoulder, and basically it's 
it's it's you're, you're deboning, so you're, you're gonna in the shoulder. In the shoulder, you're just gonna follow. Uh, you're gonna follow the contour of the bone that, with your knife. That that's all you're gonna do. Okay. And uh, you you follow that all along. You know the uh, blade. You know, and you follow the blade along, and then you, you'll see. You have you have to feel it out. Like Dusty said, you have to let the, you get your knife do the work. Right. And, and once you get that all deboned out, what we do is with most of the shoulders is it's stew and it's ground. Okay. I mean, you can make. Shoulder steaks can be done if it's a big enough animal, but it, it's the membrane in there. You know, it's just, it, it's really not an area where okay. you do that. You can also make a nice shoulder roast out of it, too. Okay. So I should be thinking neck meat for burger. I should be thinking shoulder for stew meat and burger, generally. Sometimes a steak if it's big enough. Um, sometimes a roast. Yes, you can. Okay. What about the hindquarters? Help me break down the hindquarters. So well, the hindquarters, what you want to do is you want to you want to flip them over and you want to debone them from basically. I, I go from the inside of the hind. You start at the ball and you just take your knife and you run it into the bone and you follow that, that contour of the bone. You all go all the way back to the bottom part of the leg. You know where the uh, you know where your Achilles tendon you know was located back in that that area. You run back in that that area there and you just you go around the bone. That's that's what you're doing. And once you get that off the bone, then that starts. Your, uh, you know, your portioning out. You know, uh, what you're going to have left, though, too, is once that piece comes off, the shank will be left separate. You'll actually have the lower leg separated with just the bone of the upper leg. That's that's what's going to be sitting there. The rest of it's all deboned because you're going to follow that contour okay. right down to, to the knuckle where you know it, it meets the lower leg, and that's where it gets it gets it gets a little tricky. But if you follow it, you know it'll just it'll it'll roll right off. You're basically following the bone. Once it's deboned and that bone's off. Off and you're sitting there and you got this big, you know, chunk of meat, which is the hind quarter, boned out. Basically, the easiest way is to let that piece tell you how it's segmented. You get in there and you get membrane. You start nipping, start nipping at the membrane, and you'll see the pieces, they'll start to unfold. Right. You know, and, and that's that's your biggest thing, and that's that's also a, a learning curve, uh, you know, because you, you, you can do it, and you might have two pieces that are still together, you know, and then you'll realize, okay, you know, you can use your hand to run through it or to, to separate it and, you know, push on it and see, okay, where is this connected here? What's going to come out of that is you're going to have what's called uh, your rump, which is, you know, the, the butt end of the deer. Yeah. That'll come out, and it'll look like... It'll look like uh, almost football shape. The football, exactly. You know? I'm, I've seen. That's exactly how I would describe it. It's a football. My, my mouth's watering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that, that football shape. You know, and you, that, you, you just once you get that down, you know, then you'll see that you'll you got three other you know uh, primaries. There's the top round, the bottom round, and then there's, there's what's called the eye. The eye is going to be pretty much the smallest piece, and then again, that's going to look like you know, a smaller version of a tenderloin, if I can best describe it. Okay. That's actually one of the better better parts in the hind quarter. Actually, that's that's one of, one of the best. And, and if you can leave that hole, but it, it's hard to describe it on radio. It depends on the size of the animal, but it'll be the smallest portion of the hind. You know, uh, you know the, the top round will probably be your biggest portion of gotcha. the hind. It'll almost be square-shaped. You know, it's thick. You know, and you know, uh, you got your, your top, your bottom, and like I said, your eye. You'll you'll see those separate once you separate them. So it's like a bunch. And then of, what you got to do? Oh, go ahead. It's like a group of. Um, it's a puzzle, basically, of building blocks that are all parts of basically um, meat. Uh, groups, right? And they'll start to separate as you start to get into a little bit more. Yeah, it'll unfold. It'll actually, yeah, it'll unfold, you know, and, and you'll see, especially if you can get, you know, you get a book, a good butchering book, and you open it up, 
and you, you're looking at that while you're doing it, and then you'll start to see the pieces forming. You know, oh, okay, this is this, this is that. You know, a lot of a lot of the guys that I get, the biggest thing is they got no problem. They can they can bone out a deer. But one of the biggest things that was always said to me is it starts off well, but it all winds up being ground and stew. Right. Because once it gets cut into, it's you know, okay, now you know I've cut into it and. You know, uh, maybe they've, they've, they've missed, you know, the portions out and they just start cutting at random, you know, because once those pieces are out, then you, you, you physically, you have to look at them and say, okay, this is what I could, this is what I could do with it. You know, uh, you're, you're going to go with the grain, you know, or you're going to go across the grain. You know, how are you going to make your pieces? We, we go with it because we can actually make steaks that look like they came out of a butcher case because the animal is small. You know what I mean? It's not where you could cross cut it and get big enough pieces off of it. If you do, You'll get small pieces, you know, and, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But we were able to go, you know, with the grain, you know, and slice through that way there, almost like filleting it, you know, filleting the, um, you know, the portions. Right. And it's worked out well because then when you do cook them, they separate out, you know, when you're eating them. And, of course, you cut across them and then they, they lay open. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this from experience from the past. When I first started cutting my own, knowing the cut is, is a lot of key to doing your own processing. If you know what you're getting into, to before you cut it, it it'll it'll pop right into your head once you see it um you know it, I, I wish somebody had told me that when i first started cutting my own because uh there's a lot more stuff got ground and it got cut up to what it should have been but you know i'll admit to that right if you're doing it for your first time do your research on it and, and you know al i'm glad you said that because it, it helped me once i learned and figured out what all my cuts look like then i was able to get into a deer and actually pull all my you know my front shoulder roast my hind roast i was able to cut all that out and man it, it you know as a hunter it makes you feel a whole lot better when you know what you're getting into you know that you're doing the right cuts you can visually see them and when you put them in the freezer you can mark them exactly what they are because you know right there's it's definitely a yeah, learning exactly. curve associated with this right oh yeah yes you got you know like you said you, you, the first thing is is you know read up what you can get a book visualize with it because we, we all learn by by watching we, we learn by doing you know it, it's the it's the hands-on uh when you can take your animal from the field and put it on the table and say, hey, I did this, 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 and this. You know, it's rewarding. That's the fun. That's that. That's the part of hunting. It's not, uh, you know, okay, well, you know, I went out and shot shot the deer now. You know, uh, I'm done. Everybody doesn't have the luxury to do it. You know, they, they don't have, you know, a place to do it. And that's that's all well and good. But if you could, it, it, it does. It's the best thing. It's, it's like when you go hunting and we have spots where my buddy would say, oh, no, man, what are you going to do if you get a deer here? Look at it. It's all downhill. And I would tell him, I'll worry about that when I get my deer. I'm right. just happy. If, right. I got, if I got my deer, that's the best part. I got it. It's down. I'll deal with the rest. It'll come out of here no matter what I got to do. But right. that's and that's kind of the butchering is part of the, you know, kind of part of the same thing. Now let's get into a little bit of the wrapping. Let's uh, okay. walk through the process that uh, we're going to go to the freezer after we wrap. What's the proper method and proper materials to put your meat in the freezer with? Well, there's a couple different ways you could do it. You could you could wrap it in paper, and you could also what we use is is a cellophane wrap, but we triple wrap. What we do is uh, we we portion everything out too. That's that's what you want to do. You know, okay, well, you know, this is what I'm going to use for my family every time I make stew meat. We're going to use a pound and a half, a pound, two pounds, whatever. You portion all your stuff out. You want to wrap your steaks individually, you know, of course. And you could wrap them in paper. You could vacuum seal them, which is awesome, you know. Uh, I don't do much vacuum sealing being 
you know, uh, having the business, it just wasn't uh, efficient, you know, to, to spend the time doing that. I've cut them for guys and separated everything, and they've come over and, you know, taken their meat, and then they vacuum sealed it themselves. And if you have access to vacuum sealing, that's probably actually the, the best way to do it. I mean, if you don't have access to vacuum sealing and you want to wrap it, you know, in freezer paper, you know, that's very good. You know, that's that's probably the most common way. What we've done, and we've held meat for 16, I, I got a moose that's been in the freezer since last October. You know, it's the tail end of it. You know, there's, there's not much meat left. But it was butchered last October, and we just had steak yesterday from it. And I've got virtually no freezer burn. Excellent. And this is my, this is my process. We take and... Like I said, we cellophane wrap it. It's it's wrapped triple. It's wrapped three times over. And it's not that you have to wrap it once and then tear it off and wrap it again. You fold it. You fold it three times, even four times. Sometimes we're excessive. You know, I got a buddy of mine. He's like, what are you doing? Even my own wife would help him. So what are you doing? You know? And I'm like, well, that's 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 how I want it. That's been the proven method that I've used. And, and just like anything else, it's been proven in the end. You know, I've taken it out after 18 months. Yeah. You know, and it's still good. 16 months, 14 months. You know what I mean? So right. we triple wrap it and we'll put it into also into a Ziploc bag, a Ziploc freezer bag. And we lay the steaks down flat. And sometimes you can get four to five steaks, depending on the size on that. We zip it and we also push all the air out while we're doing it. And we get it nice and flat. And then we also mark the date and what's in the bag. And we do that with everything. We do that with, uh, you know, our stew meat, you know, our ground meat. You know, we'll wrap it into one pound, uh, you know, portions. Cellophane wrap it, you know, flatten it out and put it into bags. So that was another thing that really... A lot of guys like because when they brought it home, it's stacked in their freezer. Right. You know, it, it, it all it all stacks nicely. You know what I mean? Sure, if it's a roast or something like that, yeah, it's it's going to be you know a little bulkier and it's put on top. Also, what you could do too is what I do, and this is just getting a little more you know tedious and probably you have to is I'll take and separate my steaks, my stew meat. You know, we're lucky enough to shoot a few deer a year, and I'll put that into uh, a brown bag and I'll stack up my steaks. Let's say I got five bags of steaks, six bags of steaks. I'll stack them up and I'll put them inside the brown bag and I'll mark, you know, and I, I stack it up in order so that they just they get rotated. So I'm using my first, you know, you know, first, I'm, you know, the first year I shoot is the one on top. You know, my last year is, you know, on the bottom. So it's rotated out and the bags are marked and I fold those over and I, I put them in my deep freeze so that they're even more protected, you know, but uh, typically what we do is we, we do the triple wrap and we, we portion everything out and it's a Ziploc bag and it's dated and, you know, marked and that's, that's basically how we are wrapping the process. Gotcha. Seems like that, seems like that would keep for a, a long period of time and when you get it out and it's good and, and fresh and not no freezer burn. That That's the whole key to storing yeah. meat to keep that freezer burn from getting to it. Yeah, and that's that's why we've we've done it that way. And, you know, we've played with it through the years and, and we found that that was the most cost efficient and, you know, the best way to keep it you know, as far yeah. as, uh, you know, for a long, long period of time. Because typically, you know, it, it depends on what you, how fast you do eat, you know, the, the meat, you know, the venison. But, you know, typically I like to have it so, you know, I, I can get it a full year without a problem. Gotcha. Uh, Al, had a, a quick question for you. I, I see all kinds of formulas for this, but let's say I've got a 150 mature whitetail, 150 pound mature whitetail. How many pounds of meat should I get out of that deer? Well, that's a great question you brought up because I hear this all the time. And I've never had a problem, but I did in a couple of instances. It's a third of the field dress weight, take or minus five pounds. It depends where the hit is. I've done this on my own deer several times, several. Okay. And I've always come within that, that third. You know, on that, you're probably going to, you know, you're looking at, you know, 
50 pounds of meat, maybe, maybe, maybe and that's field dress weight. You're talking hanging weight, right? Yeah, hanging weight. Talking. So you've, you've taken yeah. out the guts. It's what it, you weighed it in at. It's hanging. Yeah, you weighed it in. Yeah, with a hide on. It's head high. Yeah. Yeah. 150 pound yeah, it, white, it, mature whitetail hanging in your, in your cooler. I should expect I, I, 50 I definitely pounds go with that. You should expect 50 plus or minus, you know, five, five to maybe even seven pounds. Here's the biggest thing, and this is what I told people time and time again. If you want, I could give you more meat if you want garbage. I don't want garbage. The fat, the membrane, you know, ligament, sinew, whatever you want to call it, that's what kills you. Uh, what do you do with deer hair? Well, you know what? It's It's that skinning process. That's where it's at. If you skin correctly and you take your time, you'll wind up with uh, you won't wind up with that amount of hair. What we do is we'll use the blades of the knife. If we got it on the table, let's say there's a few hairs on it, we never really had problem with a lot of hair. When if if you're skinning the deer and you're cross cutting through the hide, yep. you know you, you want to go in the direction of the hairs when you're skinning, especially up the insides of the legs to where his Achilles tendon is, and then you're carving around that yep. and pulling down. That's that's where you want to be care- careful. You want you want to slice. You want to take that. And nice slide up and then around the leg. You want to be that skinniest portion of the leg where you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's when you start taking hair off. And then you want to flop that over. You want to keep, you know, a hand on the hide. And as you're knocking it back, you're pulling back. You're pulling away from the meat. You're flipping that, that hide back. And once you're in that process, as long as you don't poke the hide, it'll roll off nice. That was another thing that I should have mentioned too, is sometimes when guys are field dressing deer, they'll go a little crazy and we'll get a ton of, we'll get a ton of, uh, you know, hair. We'll get hair on, you know, just right. on, you know, insides of the hind quarters and stuff like that. But no, generally what I'll do is I'll scrape it with my knife. I'll run my knife off it. Let's say it's on the top round. Yeah. I just run my blade right over it and then I, I slide the blade actually through my fingers, which you got to be careful. But, right, right. You know, okay. I, yeah. I mean, it'll take, take, take a nice clean, then, like, again, it's a, a clean towel or rag that you use every time that you, you clean in the bleach solution and, and you can take that and you can wipe it off your blade. Gotcha. Take right. a towel. So different techniques. Gotcha. Yeah, I've heard of the, I've heard of the torch, I've heard of the torch thing, but. Okay. I, we, we, uh, we, we burn in Ohio, Jay. Okay. Uh, we, we do it with that. We seem to find that the whole key is a little propane torch is not hot enough, but the butane seems to burn a little hotter. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you hit that hair with that butane torch, it'll jump up as it singes. It, it jumps. It literally pops off the skin. Right. Yeah. And, and the reason I asked the question in the first place, because you get handed down all these traditions, you don't, I don't know, you know, I'm just being taught what I'm being taught. So I, I just never really know where it came from. Gotcha. Um, Al, if you could uh, share just a couple of, before we let you go, just share a couple of horror stories with us. You had, In our previous conversation, you had shared a couple of kind of gory messes that you, that came in. And tell us uh, about what happened and uh, maybe some quick do's and don'ts. Yeah, well, we had here, what had happened in Connecticut was, uh, it was a deer that had a virus. Uh, the deer was sick. I can't tell you because I don't remember exactly what it was. And it was the nicest guy in the world that shot the animal. And they brought it in. They shot two same day. They were here within 12 hours. It was more than well cold enough out. They were hung in a garage for maybe eight to 10 hours. Uh, the weather was, was cold enough. It was like in the mid-30s. Both deer were brought at the same time. I noticed an odor from one of the deer. So we took that deer 
brought it into the cooler, and, you know, I, I began to ask the gentleman questions, and, you know, he told me, and he actually is a friend of mine, you know, through the years of processing, and you know, I told him, I says, uh, yeah, I smell it. He says, yeah, I smell it too. So we proceeded to open it up. It looked fine on the outside. It really did. You know, we didn't we didn't know where it was coming from or what it was, so I smelled it at the high, you know, the high quarters where, where he had, uh, you know, uh, field-dressed it, and he had actually sawed through the pelvic bone, and he took some of the uh, hide off the inside of the uh, the hindquarter. Yeah. Well, I took my knife, and I cut into it, and it cleared everybody out of the cooler. Wow. That's how bad. And I have a strong stomach, and I, I began to dry heave. Uh, you know, so I, you know, we, we made a phone call, you know, because we didn't understand what was happening. The DEP DMP informed us of what they believed it was and that they would come and pick up the animal. And at that point, we, we put it in three mil bags, and it looked like a body when it left here. Right. <laughs> gotcha. We taped it all up. Right. Because we didn't know what it was. We didn't know what we just walked into. I had knives that had touched it. Uh, you know, it was in the cooler, but you know, thank God there was no other deer there. You know, the DNP informed me that, that it was nothing to worry about. It's just they wanted to investigate it more, and they, they replaced the tag of the animal. But that was, you know, no no ill effect on, uh, you know, the hunter. Gotcha. Any uh, parting thoughts, Al, before we let you go? No, the, the only the only thing I could say, and I know that you had mentioned that uh, this uh, another time that I talked to you about guys bringing what to look for if they're looking for a butcher, you know, as far as yeah. bringing uh, their animal. You know, one of the biggest things is um, you know to make sure that they do have a walk-in cooler because uh, it could be around here. It was just last week we had days in the, you know in the teens, and today it's it's 61 degrees. Right. So you know you can go from you know it could be 20 degrees out, and then the next day it's 50. So you know you might say, okay, well, but it is cold enough. You want to make sure you, you don't want to be dropping your deer off to somebody who says, oh well, I'm at work, just uh, you know put it by my picnic table. Right. You know uh, you know it's all well to, to use a home book because that's basically what I am. But, you know, you want to make sure they have a walk-in cooler. And if you can, you want to go down there. You know, when you bring your deer, go down there, poke around, you know, say, you know, I, I just ask, you know, some questions. Take, take take a look at the facility. Ask them, you know, uh, uh, questions, you know, uh, how do you wrap it? You know, uh, sometimes you'll get a bulk bag. They'll, they'll put five pounds of stew. I've had it happen when, you know, through my first couple of years. And that gets frozen. And, and, and now what? Now you got to thaw that out and then refreeze it, you know. Yeah. With a fresh meat, you can and get away with it once, but, you know, after that, you really don't want to, you know, be playing around. You don't want to do that if you don't have to. So they got to go in, they got to ask questions, make sure, you know, he has a, you know, a cooler. If if, if that animal's going to go, this is a big, very important thing because butchers get blamed for a lot of, you know, mistakes made on capes. I, fortunately, I know how to cape and I, 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 I'm really nervous when I do capes, so I spend a lot of extra attention. I don't like to do it, you know, because uh, I know that it can be done much quicker. Is to get in touch with your taxidermist, get in touch with him, bring it to your taxidermist. That's part of his job. That's part of what he does. Have him cape that deer. If you're going to a butcher for the first time or talk to him, make sure he knows how to cape it. You know, sometimes they don't. I lost uh, an animal that I was going to have done because the guy was doing it under an old way that they used to do it. It was a neck mount. Mm. And he, he, he did it for that. You, you got to get all your ducks in a row. Uh, really, when you're going to go out there, you know, know your butcher, know where it's going, call ahead. Are you still open? You know, uh, okay, what do I do if I get a deer? You know, this is my predicament. You know, I have nowhere to keep it. You know, get all your ducks in a row and have a backup. Have a, you know, if that guy for some reason something happens, have a backup. 
but go look, try to go look at the facility when you get there and ask them questions. Hey, how do you wrap it? Okay, you know, uh, take a look at his cooler. Take a look at his, uh, you know, his facility, what he's using. He's got stainless steel tables, you know, uh, you know, is the place clean? You know, don't be afraid to, to ask questions because you're going to eat that, you right. know, and if you spend all that time, if you spend all that time in the field doing everything right and then it gets brought there and also we have places here that don't butcher but they make sausage and they make uh, kielbasa and they make all kinds of uh, smoke goods but you know what it is when you bring your meat there <laughs> they use they don't use your meat separately they bulk it all together and then they do an average right so that's another thing you got to watch out for do you want you know you spend all your time to do take care of your animals somebody else may not have you bring it there and all of a sudden you really don't have your own meat or it's been all mixed together gotcha you know so good tips the most important thing is if you can take the time and I and this is a pet peeve of mine because I see this in it and it really upsets me it really upsets me if you've got the time to go out and hunt then you better have the time to make sure that that animal is taken care of it's not I shoot the animal oh well I got a deer and after that you throw it in your garage and it's rotted five days later because I've gotten calls I've gotten a call from a person that said hey what should I do now uh, you know uh, I had this deer hanging for five days I'm like it's been 70 degrees for the last two <laughs> and they'll say well yeah. This is an actual phone call that I got. The guy said to me, hey, do you think it's still good? It's green and it smells. I said, would you go into Stop and Shop and would you take a piece out of that, that uh, meat counter that was green and stunk and would you go home and eat it? And all he said to me was, oh, I understand. <laughs> and it, it, it made me so bad. That it's not He's not a bad person. That has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it, but you just ruined. Why'd you shoot the animal? Right. Somebody else could have shot and took no. care of it. You yeah. just got home, and, and those those are a few of the things that really bother me. If you're going to take the time to hunt, and it starts from the top down, it's the same thing with equipment. You, you're going to take the time to go out and hunt. You better take make sure you take the time to shoot your equipment. And the day before you're going to go out, you better make sure that it, it's spot on. And every time you get done hunting and you get out of there before you go back in again, you better shoot your equipment and make sure that it's on because you don't know if you bumped something. I take it very personally. I, that's what I do, and that's why I like to make sure that, you know, the guy's got to understand that. If, if that's not what you want to do, then don't go out and hunt. Don't say, ah, well, you know what? I haven't shot my shotgun in four years, but, hey, it's going to be a nice day out today. I think I'll go hunting. Right. And you grab your shells and you go out and you start, you know, maybe, maybe. It's perfectly good, but maybe it's not. Right. And then you go out there and find out, oh, I just wounded an animal. But so, anyway, that's just, you know, that's the, the, the key things, like I said, just, you know, get all your ducks in a row. Make sure your butcher, uh, you know, you're on board with them. You know what you're going to do before the season begins. You know, take a look at the facility and, you know, make sure there's a walk-in cooler and your emphasis is on cleanliness because right. that's what you want. And then you'll be happy, right. you know, from the get-go. I think that's a good message that prepping for deer hunting is also prepping for after the harvest. Like there's a whole other piece that you got to take into consideration and make sure you're ready for that too. Even though you may not get a deer every year, you should be ready to process it correctly. I think in the end, this it boils down to you're going to eat this. Take care of it. Right, right. The animal, exactly. The animal deserves the respect, um, and you're going to eat it. So yeah, <laughs> Al, you've been a, a great sport. Well, this has been awesome. Very informative. You're you're full of knowledge, and uh, thank you for sharing it with us on our podcast. For all of our listeners, and we're you know we're we're across the country, so and I'm in New Hampshire, Dusty's in Ohio, and we have listeners as far as the West Coast. So um, this is going to be a fantastic podcast, and love to have you back again sometime. 
Oh, that sounds great. And I, um, I was very happy to do it. Excellent. Uh, Al, we sure do appreciate you joining us, and uh, we look forward to getting you back on the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast in the future. Well, thank you very much. It was nice to meet you. Well, I don't know about you, Dusty, but uh, that was probably one of the most informative podcast interviews we've ever had. You know, it's awesome that he went into such detail that uh, maybe it'll help a first-time processor cut up their own deer. And, you know, that's kind of what this was all about, trying to help somebody get their own deer in the freezer from, from the field to the freezer. Right. And it's uh, there's definitely a learning curve involved in this. And, and I've, you know, I didn't know anything in the beginning. But now I help other hunters who are less knowledgeable about it. And But if I, I wish I had had this podcast in the beginning to learn a little bit more about how to get there because uh, it would have saved me some some steps. Yeah, sure. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. It uh, seems like it's a hands-on, you know. I, I can't stress that enough. If you can get somebody that knows what they're doing with it to help you out first time, I suggest it. But if not, just dig into it. You know, it, it's meat. You really can't mess it up. Right. Um, you know, it all grinds in the end. If, if you completely fail, and, and it's going to happen, you're going to make a wrong cut right. uh, to getting started. But it, it all grinds out to be burger. If you, if you, uh, you know, completely miss, mishap something and, and that's okay. Yeah. And hopefully this show helps you out if you've never done it before, if you've done it just a couple of times and you want to just see if you're doing it right, hopefully this helps you out this podcast. And I guess one of the biggest recommendations I would have is go find somebody that knows what they're doing and have them help you and watch and learn and actually help the, the process because you'll be able to do it the next time. Um, that's how I learned. And, and now I teach people how to do it, not for a living or anything, but just because I like to help. I actually really enjoy butchering up my own meat. Yeah, you're able to check out some different things that normally you wouldn't ever see by taking it somewhere, you know, and it's a job. It, it really is. It's a lot of work. It takes some time. You, you can expect if you're going to do it on yourself, you're going to burn up half a Saturday trying to cut up a deer, and, and that's okay. It's, right. it's an enjoyment, and uh, getting your knife in there and figuring things out, it's really a technique that uh, you, you can't really learn by watching you got to get hands on right exactly you have to dig into this stuff because it's i mean we do do our best to describe it on the podcast but it's a visual thing too you really need to go watch and help and learn um but i'm glad he cleared up that the that whole question about how many pounds of meat should you get out of a dressed weight deer that's always everybody argues about that one yeah it seems like uh you know even here they they argue the same point that they think they should get back more meat well you know, yes and no. Some instance I can agree on. Others are just, you know, it's ridiculous that people don't understand the waste that's there, what I should say. You know, it's yeah. not really wasted meat, but there's a lot of tendons and gristle that you really don't want in your meat. So Yeah. Do you want meat or do you want it, you want bubble gum? I mean, this is what right. it is. It's, yeah, that's ex- that, that you couldn't have said it any better. That's exactly what it is. So, um, no, I I, I got to talk about the 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 smells and the the odors, you know. If you if you get into a deer and it's got a smell or, or, or odor you, you need to have somebody professionally that that knows what they're smelling or what they're seeing take a look at that deer before you yeah. cut it up the nose knows if you start smelling things that smell like feet you know dirty feet or uh smells that are like dirty socks or sulfur like a, an egg a bad egg um 
don't. There's, there's a problem there. There's a problem. The nose knows. They're, the bacteria that grow on meat, will, the stuff that can really hurt you, have odors. It, you will smell these things. So if your meat is tainted, um, odor will tell the tale. So give it a good whiff. If it just yeah. smells like the meat you get out of fresh cut of meat that you get in your grocery store or whatever, that's the way you want it to smell. It, it seems that uh, a good location to, for an odor to start is is in the hind legs. In between the hind rear legs, it seems like where the odor normally comes from in the esophagus area if you don't cut them all the way up the neck and pull the esophagus out. Right. One of them two areas is usually the starting point of an odor. Yep. The esophagus has a tremendous amount of bacteria in it. So if it's warm enough temperatures, that bacteria will be released into the neck meats and things like that. That's where that yep. that's one source of expansion of bacteria. And the other one is in the hindquarters, of course, where the, the stomach guts were. So both of those spots are absolutely right, Dusty. That's, that, that's going to be your source of origin for uh, tainted meat. Well, Jay, that about wraps us up for tonight. Uh, we look forward to uh, getting the next podcast under our belt here yep. soon this upcoming week, and uh, that should sum us up here tonight. I think so. So tell everybody how they can reach out to you, Dusty. Facebook forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Very cool. And on uh, the Big Buck Registry, our website is bigbuckregistry.com, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry for Facebook. Twitter is Big Buck Registry. You can give us a call and uh, give us some feedback about this show. If there's a topic you would like us to cover, give us a shout on our Big Buck hotline, 724-613-2825. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast on an iTunes device or uh, an Apple device or uh, Stitcher or Blueberry or Libsyn, um, Tell your friends about it if you're if they're hunters and get them into listening to the podcast. I'm, I know I've I found that genre and it's quite interesting and there's all kinds of things you can listen to. And there are a few good hunting uh, podcasts out there between the Big Buck Registry, Carrie Z, um, or the Moultrie Products. Those are all good uh, podcasts to listen to. So I'm Jay Scott and I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. <laughs>